many times people end up carrying a partner because we outgrow that expertise. The best emotional thing that you can do to reduce stress is have a difficult conversation and come to an agreement partnership isn't working anymore. And the lifted challenge of what you gain from feeling free to make decisions without a weaker partner changes your life. Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that is all about finding happiness by embracing changes and following our curiosity. Each week, I unveil the most intriguing aha moments and leaps of learnings of successful leaders, founders, authors, and artists, and how they achieve incredible things by staying hypercurious. Today, I'm excited to welcome a British entrepreneur, investor in well-being products and philanthropist with an amazing track record of delivering accelerated growth, Lara Morgan. She started her first business, Pacific Direct, at the age of 23, and 17 years later, she sold 99% of her shares for £20 million. In this episode, we discuss why difficult decisions regarding team members are a must for you to make so that you can grow a world-class business. The key practice that Lara applies when it comes to hiring salespeople and the power of the choices we all have every day when waking up in the morning. Lara, I'm thrilled to have you on Hypercurious today. You have a captivating story and you are a true serial entrepreneur. How do you describe yourself in one sentence? I want to lead a full life, which means that ultimately I'm curious in everything and I'm constantly learning. And that provides endless entertainment and opportunity. Wow, I love that. That's so hypercurious. So much us here. <laughs> uh, let's start from the beginning. You had to leave school at the age of 18 after your father went bankrupt. Would you describe your story as riches to rags, then back to riches again? Difficult to describe that, but in a sense, we were talking about that as a family last night. You know, I went to private school, had a great education. My parents made a lot of sacrifices for me to go through that educational journey. I now think private school isn't worth the paper it's written on, but that's another story. My education was fantastic because I learned confidence and I learned to go and discover and to ask good questions. So I, I can't knock it from my own personal point of view. But yeah, my dad went bankrupt. The bailiffs were going to come in and take things we had. And I didn't unpack from my first day back from school. I hadn't seen my parents for a year from the age of 17 to 18. And today I live in a unbelievably special environment. I feel deeply privileged that we've built something, but actually I like to share that building. And I didn't set out to, if you like, have riches. I set out to be able to afford choices for life, right? And the first choices were giving my children the best that I could buy for them without spoiling them. So even though I have the money, they get the worst technology. They have to do jobs down the pub. And there's a certain amount of grounding because I think you have to be hungry in life. So there's no such thing as a free whatever it is. How do you keep them hungry as much as you were hungry as you were growing up? So it's much more difficult. I have three children aged 22, 18, and 17. And the 17-year-old's a lazy toe rag with masses of potential. And it's not her fault that she's always lived in a very nice environment. Right? She was born into it. I sold the business when she was three years old and it was a very successful exit. I owned 99% of a 
company that realized an over £20 million valuation at a time when the US dollar was actually worth something. So that was 12 years ago. And the sort of older daughter who has great memories of, you know, really average holidays down the beach and not exotic places. And, you know, we're now more privileged, but we don't do that all of the time. And even when I sold the company, you know, we traveled a bit, but we actually hired a pickup in New Zealand and just sort of rented a place as we went and kept things basic. We lived in a caravan for a while. And I think it is about the choices you make and and you have a balance between the stuff that I feel deeply privileged to be able to afford really good trainers, like running shoes and sports shoes for my kids, because I couldn't have them myself. So I get great joy out of that privilege, but my kids don't get, and I kind of give myself salvation that it's health products. And the answer is, is that they don't get given much for nothing and they have to make their own money from a pretty young age. And, and I think that's good for them. Mm, that's uh, that's great. That's a great story. How has your early life shaped the immense entrepreneurial drive that you have? I think you could, you'd have to say that the early life of, you know, my extraordinary, and now I understand it is extraordinary, but didn't know at the time because I was just living it. You know, I was born in Germany to army parents. Dad and mum were transferred to Asia, lived in Hong Kong, left the army in Asia. I was sent to boarding school in Scotland. My dad went bankrupt and my first proper job after selling promotional merchandise in Hong Kong, which was a stopgap because I wanted to be a golf pro. That didn't work out. I followed somebody to the Middle East and worked selling Yellow Pages advertising space. That's not average as a career start. And I'd already failed to take up my university education because I couldn't afford to go. And I'd also discovered that I was enjoying business and I was enjoying learning business. So I think early years of being in Hong Kong where people have several jobs, they sleep on the underground, the MTR, between jobs and as in they're burning the candle both ends as I did when I first started. Just that hustle and bustle, this pace of life, the can-do attitude, the sourcing, the product knowledge, the being on China's doorstep, opening up China, learning the languages, and then the enormity of the sort of contrast of a grounded upbringing in a Scottish boarding school. It's a fantastic learning ground for contrast. And I think that makes you open your eyes to understand that everybody's different everybody has something to offer. And actually, you can always learn more. Mm. And how, how was this contrast? What is the difference, the massive difference between doing business in China versus in the UK? Well, I mean, in UK, we're conservative, we queue up. The world isn't waiting for people who queue up. I'm not suggesting you push to the front. I'm suggesting you get up earlier and get there first. I think you just can't believe how hard the Asians work. You know, they don't come from the same springboard. And we're lucky in Britain. We, we speak English. In fact, we're lucky in any country where English is an educated language. But the English of all people, the British, have the advantage. They have, you know, the English language and the language of business. Now, don't get me wrong, that's changing to the language of digital, but you still need to speak English in some countries. Don't get me wrong, I, I hope never to lack humility, but maybe the British need to learn to be a bit more bold and outspoken because we have amazing history and most of it is positive. Not all. You know, we're not perfect. But I think, you know, when I look at the trips to India and Egypt, I've been to 84 countries in the world when I owned my first company. What I have learned about other humanity makes me feel how jolly lucky we are. You mentioned that they work super harder, much harder than possibly we do here. How hard is it? Like for people who never lived there, how do you grasp 
how hard people work. I can relate to that because I'm originally from Brazil and I know, you know, sometimes we have to work, you know, twice, three times, five times as hard to be able to compete in the big world, right? And I know that after living here for like 15 years, I have been becoming much more British nowadays. And sometimes I, I question if it's, if it's the right thing to do, <laughs> be, becoming lazy, you know, or with, a, you know, lack of a better word. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, SWOT. Old-fashioned business knowledge, right? Control what you can control. So if in the early days I got up at 4.45 in the morning to drive in the winter months down to London to beat the traffic, to be at the hotel doorstep first, to deliver the goods, and then to do my appointments, I was probably already three, four hours ahead of the rest of the game who'd barely got to work by the time I'd done quite a lot of stuff whipped around London in my Ford Fiesta called Gertrude. And I think business, don't get me wrong, it should be a smart race. And actually, you have to find a balance between working on your business and being in your business. And when you're young and it's a startup and you're providing that energy, that's a very different stage to when you start to grow a mature business and you put teams in place and you use words like strategy, which I really don't understand still. But I guess it's about just setting steps and a direction and getting a vision and a mission and then getting the team on board. But there's this saying, I think it's something like, Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I'm very lucky that I wasn't kind of the most talented brain at school. I was good at maths, so that stood me in very good stead. And I must say, if you're going to be in enterprise, you can never stop being curious and knowledgeable about your numbers. But in the end, if two people have equal skills and one works harder, that one will win. So, but that doesn't mean you need to create stress in your life. And it doesn't mean you need to be miserable about, you know, the hours you work because you need to have some kind of gauge of knowing when you're on your game. You know, at three o'clock, I have a dip. So I take my dogs for a walk. Truth is, quite often I have my mobile phone in my ear. So what? I'm still in the fresh air. My dogs are getting a walk. I'm listening to stuff going on around me. So whilst I don't believe that you can ever get balance, you have to find moments of balance. And those adjustments are really important in how hard you work because I get up really early. I like it. I'm competitive. Not everybody behaves that way. So I think you have to do it according to your skill set. Mm, I, I love that. And I'm going to tell you, I'm already going completely off script here. I have like 20 odd questions to you and so many pearls <laughs> of wisdom here that I'm, I'm kind of diverging here. But anyway, I'll, I'll come back. What still gives you fire in your belly every day? My family would love to know the answer to that question. And the answer is, is that I'm privileged, right? And I know I'm privileged. So I don't have to work. But I do have to work because I'm a parent and I've got a 17-year-old and she needs to know that people go to work and earn a living each day. And whilst we live in a fantastic home, you know, I kind of see the early years of the first business as family money. Don't get me wrong, I made it. Um, my husband and I made it. And uh, it will be used wisely, not necessarily giving it to our own children, because I don't believe in that. But, you know, I'm, I was 40 years old, just under when I first sold Pacific. And I've got a lot of energy. And I like to keep my mind busy. And I think if you keep your mind busy, and now I particularly like to stay up to date with digital and scare the wits out of my kids. And, you know, I'm now learning about TikTok, and I've already been learning about every other flipping social play. I just think it's good for your health. So I wouldn't, I'm, I don't see myself ever stopping, but I do see sort of a changing role, if you like. And I, I don't like titles, but I guess it's more of a being on and, and slower thinking 
more considered planning, all the dull stuff that I used to think was really, really dull. But actually, I also still just love serving the customer and, and selling great products. So for me also, we only represent products that are impacting health and wellness, whether it's kit bricks, selling a poncho, whether it's Yogi Bear, who do the grippiest yoga mat and she is the most authentic yogi. And we do it in, a, you know, working towards the best sustainability. Everything is underpinned. Every agenda we have has sustainability at the top. And then my absolute pride and joy, which is centered because actually, if you can offer the power of mindful reset, which is stop, inhale and reset, and it's, you know, an aromatherapy bar, I represent products that I passionately believe in. And I sell products that I think are getting out of date or the business isn't moving with the times. And I don't invest in stuff that doesn't kind of get my motor going in terms of I want to be involved. I want to play a part. I want to grow it. So I feel very lucky that I'm doing something I love every day. Mm. And how was for you to transition between being like the main leader of the of the companies that you started initially to now being more as a as an investor and as a planner as a strategist right as you say how how was the transition between one role to another I still haven't done that I'm still an interfering old witch but the truth is is that you know you take yourself off to business school I went to Stanford and I went to Cranfield and tried to get a business education and I kind of used that but Transition's really hard, right? But I'm having a great conversation with one of my young investments at the moment because I went through this stage where kind of I'm lead salesperson and salespeople on the call will really relate to this, but I'm also CEO by default because I got there first in my first business. Now I know that just because I'm the shareholder doesn't mean I have to do everything, right? Just because I'm the shareholder, it doesn't mean I have to have the biggest title like general manager. In fact, I, I'd loathe to be general manager of anything because I'm rubbish at it. So the point there is transition to the role that you love most. It's easier standing as kind of knowledgeable with what I have and then making suggestions to constantly thrive for improvement. And that's, I guess, the bit that is less of an interfering old witch, but it's, it's a difficult game to play. It, it requires you to invest in the right businesses and also to surround yourself with a winning team. And I know you talk a lot about, you know, the best winning team is what will help you win the game of, uh, of being an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur. So how do you do that? How do you know if you are surrounded yourself with a winning team? Gut feel, the culture of how you are and what your values are, they underpin everything. But as you know, you set that mood. And that means that you as an entrepreneur can't come up, however bad it is, you can't be a miserable bitch. And don't get me wrong, I also fail at this. But I try really hard to provide positive energy and to share that. And I'm not perfect. In fact, I owe somebody an apology because I kind of railroaded them yesterday. And I guess the answer is, is that you have the most rigorous recruitment system. And you have a black book where you keep names of people that you really love to be able to afford one day. These are tactics that I have. And when you interview, you ask the right kind of insightful questions that really get to the bottom of the why. So why did you do that? Why do you make those decisions? What was your biggest success? How did you make that success? Why was it you that can claim that success? Why are you proud of that moment? And, you know, also, you don't ask the same questions in an interview of an accountant as you do of a salesperson as you do of someone else. And I think the more you're people aware of your own skills, the more honest you are about what you like doing and what you're good at. And then you surround yourself with others. I mean, I just got off a call with a lady that worked for me 26 years ago. And I'm really proud of that, right? 
I'm proud that she still wants to work with me, does some part-time stuff. She's an absolute genius. She's my friend. That's amazing. And, and you never burn bridges. Have you ever burned bridges with, with anyone? Try not to. You try not to. <laughs> I definitely work really hard on not doing it. And there is one person that I just, out of character, I, I made a mistake. I was very tired. I did apologize. But I can honestly say, in all of the people that I've employed, which is literally thousands, because I've had factories and I work with factory suppliers and I employ people in Asia and we manufactured in the Czech Republic. I can honestly say there's only one person who will remain nameless that I would drive onto the other side of the road to run down. And obviously then I'd go to prison, so that wouldn't be very bright. But, you know, one in many thousands, it's not bad, is it? I think generally, if you do unto others as you would want to have done unto you, and I'm not particularly religious, but in other words, treat people how you want to be treated and ask good questions and be open, but also don't fanny around difficult subjects, right? A lot of people listening to this call will have a partner. Mm. Very few people rate their partner equally to their own skill set. And many times people end up carrying a partner because we outgrow that expertise. The best emotional thing that you can do to reduce stress is have a difficult conversation and come to an agreement that partnership isn't working anymore. And the lifted challenge of what you gain from feeling free to make decisions without a weaker partner changes your life. So, you know, I think the people recruitment piece is absolutely critical in a business and then the partnership and the honest conversations that will stand you in very good stead. So true. How do you create the inner strength to have these tough conversations, knowing that it will change dramatically the future of the company? It's not really a choice, is it? It's progression. So, you know, when people talk about risk, I talk about progress. When you talk about, you know, difficult decisions, well, actually, it's not a difficult decision because if you are passionate about your product and your service and you're wanting to claim that you are world-class, you can't go around carrying someone. You need another world-class player. So then you have to change stuff. And the other thing is, is that once you start practicing this, let me tell you, whilst never is it easy to let someone go or to change the team, It's always better next. And most people grow out of people along the way as they go from startup to scale up. We grow out of the people that got us to where we've gone as we systemize. It's a different skill set as we box fill, as we put in a CRM, as we put in an ERP, as we drive digital. The, the enormity of change means people will change and they'll need different skills. And quite often, unless somebody's really growing like you are, you'll outgrow them. So you have to make the change. I love that. And so brave, right? It's so brave. Then I have a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's, that's good practice. And I reward myself because, you know, why wouldn't? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How do you define success nowadays? How do I define success today? It's very different because I'm, you know, I've got to have fun. That's, I don't do it unless it's fun. I try and do it meaningfully with impact. So here's a balm, right? This is a well-being balm called Centered. And I am really proud of these products. And You put them on your pulse points and actually you can affect mood therapy. So this is the love bomb. And we're going to be partnering a charity called Copperfield because when we do that, we can give money to a charity that's preventing boob cancer for women and men. That means that it's a really proper business where you're making a genuine impact on society. So how I gauge uh, success, are my companies doing things sustainably? Are they doing it with transparency? Are we striving constantly for improvement? So that's progressive improvement. 
are we learning together and are we laughing you know and 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 it's a combination of things but those are pretty important and then it's about accelerated growth the scorecard is profit doing the best that we can do limiting waste there's a myriad of things but you know if you're going to sell a beautiful candle like this why shouldn't somebody else benefit and actually we're about to launch this with a refill we're evolving how candles work and that means we're reducing waste so you can see i already get passionate the minute we're doing something better and different because that's what we strive for I love that. It becomes bigger than yourself and bigger than your business. It has a, a much wider impact in the world, right? Definitely. And, and I want to buy all of your products, by the way. I, I love balms that I, <laughs> that I put on my <laughs> wrist, especially before I go to sleep, because sometimes my, my mind is just too active. So I need to have, to have something to kind of to win down. Yeah, well, you should try the sleep well balm. I will. Buy my sleep well balm. It will change your life or that of your partner. And I promise you, it's the best-selling sleep well balm. I mean, it's just flipping. The blend is brilliant. The ingredients are fantastic. All of our scented balms are. And I mean, that also makes me laugh because, you know, scented is spelt with an S in between the stop, inhale, and reset of scented with a C. So mm. again, you know, enjoy it. You've got to enjoy the journey because the journey is relentless. It's brutal. Right? And there are some days you feel like crying, but that's okay. It always gets better the next day. How do you use those challenging moments to give you even more drive and motivation to keep going and keep achieving more? It's not about achieving more. It's about having a better effect. I don't measure any more in the same way I used to in terms of getting financial freedom, which is a hell of a gift. And how do I keep driving at it? I, I need to spend more downtime. I'm too tired at the moment. So I, the day before yesterday, my husband and I picked a large hill and we ran up and down it 10 times and I sweated my ass off and I laughed and it's fresh air and I, I'm aching from head to foot. But that's the point, which is, you know, you set yourself different goals and look after your health. You are an elite triathlete, right? What are the things that you learned from sports that you apply in the business world? I bet there are tones, including deliberate practice, but I want to hear from you. What are the key things that you, you use from one world to another? So I will tell you now, I don't ever employ salespeople that aren't in the sports world. They're competitive, they're organized, they're hardworking, they practice. You know, there's so many qualities that cross over. I think they understand scorecards. You know, they understand, are they one up, one down in golf? Are they winning or losing in tennis? Are they the fastest time? What do they need to do to perfect their throw? Whatever it is. Equally, I think I was very lucky that I was playing sports at an early age. So I was in teams. And I think team sports is priceless. And it's a real bugbear of mine that we don't have children playing enough team sports. But that experience of teamwork and competitive leadership changes lives because people can speak up and they can have an opinion. And, and leadership is by example. And it's also about inclusiveness. And I make mistakes there as well sometimes because I'm going too quickly. But I think the crossover between sports and life, priceless. And we're not yet, again, treating it with enough respect. Although I hope that the uplift of people realizing how important their health is to you know, combat a virus or to feel healthy in the mind because they're motivated to do their work or to create something new or to build or innovate or clean a cupboard out, that comes from mindset. So. I think there's huge, a huge wealth of learning between, you know, outdoors, natural, competitive sports. I, I just think it's, it's so important. And 
Many girls uh, give up sports at the age of 13. Our society seems to tell girls that the world of high achievers and competitiveness, it's not for them on so many levels. That happens in sports, as you're saying, that happens in tech, that happens in sales. What can we do to change that? So I'm not sure that the world proactively tells women that anymore. I'm also of a mind that there are more men that understand through unisex education that women and men are different, but they have lots to offer. I personally think the problem is the women, right? I think we keep waiting for somebody to change the game, and I think we should change the game ourselves. So I have the choice. I can invest my money with a male investment banker, or I can invest my money with a female investment banker, and I can check that she's paid the same as the other investment bankers. So that's what I chose to do. So I can invest in female businesses, or I can invest in male businesses, or I can invest in both. And the truth is that I will invest in those that do the best asking, but I can also have a personal bias. And the boys have a personal bias, by the way, they have for years. So I don't understand why the women aren't creating more of their own personal bias. And whilst I fully respect those that want to go and hold a vigil and bring attention, actually, what are you going to act and do differently to drive change and to be a female leader and not to sit on the sidelines and not to accept mediocrity and not to accept a salary that's less than others? What are you going to do to march if you don't get treated with equality? We have to change the narrative. We have to change the language. Mm. And I actually think dads and, and brothers and, and mothers and fathers, we've been talking about this too long, but the women have to step up and you have to take sacrifice. You want to be an entrepreneur, you're going to make sacrifices, right? I haven't seen as much of my children as other mums. That's fine with me. I made that choice. I have the freedom. I have the choice for the rest of my life. That's the deal I did right? I don't regret it. I wouldn't have done it if I was going to spend time regretting it because looking back is not looking forward. I can't be asked with looking back. And how, how can you influence more women to think like that? I'm completely with you. I chose not to have kids because of that, because it was like, I, I want to focus on other things in my life. And that's, you know, that's a tough choice for a lot of women and including myself. But, uh, I, I know that, most women would not do that. What needs to change? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need to make a choice about whether or not you have children. I mean, I have three healthy children. You have, right? Yeah, you, you're proving that uh, it can be done, yeah. Don't get me wrong, it's bloody hard work, breastfeeding and meetings, but you'd be amazed at what people will put up with because we are all human. And actually, I think this process has humanized people in the last year a lot more. So, I mean, funnily enough, I was having a rant on a walk with my husband the other day, and I was saying, you know, it's really important that if a child starts something, they have to finish something. So if you sign up for a course, right, and they're going to be in an uncomfortable place and meet strangers, well, welcome to the real world. We spend all of our lives speaking to strangers, and that's how we make progress. So the idea that we mollycoddle our children and we hold their hands all the way into ballet class or gymnastics or swimming or whatever the hell it is, mm. there is a really good amount of value at, at creating uncomfortable moments that build confidence. I'm lucky. I'm, am I lucky? Maybe my size, I'm five foot eight. You know, I'm in the bigger girl category, if you like, you know, and I'm massive compared to my sister-in-laws. Maybe that was an advantage that I had the, the sort of courage of my size convictions. But the truth is, it's also about attitude and it's about us demonstrating I used to remember my mum 
going back down to the fruit and veg stall if she'd been sold a gone-off avocado or a cauliflower that was already too soft and, and she'd paid a good price. And she'd return it. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, it's so embarrassing. I do think it's parental example that says we can teach our kids to be confident. I don't think it's, it matters whether it's girl or boy. But I do think that there's something in the upbringing about too much gender stereotypical bullshit. I had an older brother. That was definitely an advantage. But just bring up your children to believe in themselves. And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And you know, if you look after the pennies, the pounds look after themselves. And um, there are a million old-fashioned sayings that I was brought up with, like my dad, you know, saying, Jesus, turn up on time or don't turn up at all. And that has stood me in good stead. What is wrong with those values? Mm. There's nothing wrong with them. So in a sense, parents could be a little bit tougher and and be unafraid to be speaking up and, and showing themselves as role models in their own homes, right? I think so. And I mean, I also think that, you know, there's an awful lot of misconception about the world owing us a living. The world owes us nothing. In fact, we've damaged the world. Mm. So we need to be thinking about refill, repurpose, replenish, reinvent, resist, you know, reigniting the innovation. And if anything, you know, entrepreneurs are really good at innovation, but put sustainability at the heart of it. Because if we don't, there won't be future generations that can enjoy all the experience and the laughter that we have in our lives. And we are so lucky. Yeah. You wrote a book in uh, 2011 called uh, More Balls Than Most, Juggle Your Way to Success with Proven Company Shortcuts. What did you learn about yourself as you sat down to write? I'm still rubbish at writing. I'm rubbish at English. I write too much. But actually, I got a lot of joy out of putting pen to paper because the most important thing in that book is in the beginning, there are three light bulbs and all the names of the people that helped me in my journey are in those light bulbs. I guess I also learned that the journey had only just begun. Even the book, you know, I give money to prostate cancer because any books that we sell, and we've sold quite a few, you know, we donate the money to prostate cancer because that was the beginning of my journey about mm. how we can always do something more. So we can always give back, be involved in something. I, I actually think the charity model is pretty broken and wrong and it's too intercompetitive and there's lots of things commercially that don't work. But if we can then challenge the things and put our money where our mouth is or put our brains where the challenge is, then we can do better. So that's what more balls than most is kind of the story of this idiot, me, learning along the way. And, and frankly, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Right? I'm unqualified. I have no degree. Dad went bankrupt, started with a few quid that I made out of my savings. What's stopping you? Mm. Right? Being young in enterprise is a huge advantage to starting when you're older. That I really believe. Do you think the world of entrepreneurs nowadays, and um, I come from the technology, the tech sector and game sector, right? Do you think we don't have enough adversity mm. and, and enough obstacles to go through it and to say, yeah, whatever is giving me restrictions sometimes give us, you know, much more opportunities. Do you think we probably have too much? So it's a really interesting question because I think, A, I'm not a tech investor. I'm a product person. So I don't know much about tech, but it does flipping well annoy me, the amount of money that goes into tech that just gets lost. But I also know that we don't need that many more products in the world. You know, it's very difficult to invent something really cool and new that we genuinely need. And, and mostly we should now be inventing to reduce waste and change the packaging and things like that. It irks me somewhat, uh, the waste of invested intelligence 
But, you know, that's the old model. And I think the old model is changing. I think if you take in investment today, I think you should be taking in a pound of value that has a lot more value than the pound itself. So my pound is not equal to somebody else's pound. Mm. If I'm investing in a hospitality business, because I made my money in hospitality, so my pound is worth more, right? If somebody's investing in the health and wellness space and they know nothing about it, what do they bring other than their money? So when you're taking an onboard investment, you need to really think about it's not just a pound that is all you're looking for. You should be getting more. I guess on the tech side, I'd be looking for some real talent with proven track record in how to monetize, really monetize, not just to have a very long tale of diluting shares and not really proven value of income. But I don't know if that's answering your question, if I'm honest. No, it is. It is. Going back to your book, right, were you afraid that you would not be as a successful writer, as successful entrepreneur you are? Um, I knew I was going to be a rubbish writer. So it was more about putting the story on the pages. At the point you write the book about the story that you've just sold a business for 20 million quid, you're kind of riding this ridiculous British enterprise wave and you get asked to be the dragon and you turn it down and you because you're trying to maintain sanity and you don't want your children to be bullied, it's bad enough that they've got me as mother. I don't think of things in terms of success. I think of things in terms of progress. You, you know, you talk about success and I think there's a miscorrelation. You know, we should all be doing the best that we can do. And some of us are more creative. You know, some of us are more innovative. And yet they don't take the honest commercial understanding of costing their product and finding the right supplier and understanding operational excellence. And that's where, you know, particularly the creative sides and, you know, the ones that can have the great whizzy idea, but actually they don't know how to execute it. And without execution, you're nothing. You know, you're not going to sell it. So I think it's understanding the context of where your skills lie and where you're going to bring value and how you're going to make money and the basic metrics. And then, then I think you're going to live and learn and earn some scars along the way. I love the way that you see things as as a as progress, right? So for anyone, any entrepreneur who's keen to write their story, to put their story on paper as a book, right? What what is the the biggest learning that you had as you were going through that process? What would you say to them? Go and speak to the experts, get a template, they'll tell you what you want to do. You want to think about what is it you're trying to achieve. You break down the paragraphs. There's some really fantastic enterprise book writing morons guides and that I am. And then you start carrying a little book around with you that as you start thinking about it, you think, oh my God, I did that. Oh my God, I did that. And, and somehow you'll remember along the way, you know, the journeys and the ridiculous stories that make people laugh. And you think she did what? You know, there are some amazing stories that make me feel, God, oh, thank God I didn't know any better. And that's where the youngness of not knowing sets no boundaries. So you can chance your arm at things and maybe get lucky. I love that. I love that. You say in Instagram, uh, straight talking, nonsense entrepreneur, be not afraid, be enthusiastic. How do you use enthusiasm to overcome fear? First of all, I believe in Pareto, 80-20. You know, we definitely make 80% of our profit from 20% of our customers and we make lots of mistakes along the way and I don't believe in perfect. And thereby my kind of ability to be enthusiastic and energetic and, and to talk 
around the product and to have the product knowledge and to accept that we're not perfect and to take criticism on board and to grow and learn and then improve the product. I think it's that enthusiasm that says you're never done. You're never complacent. That is infectious. You do what you say you're going to do. That's a promise. You know, yesterday I had to advise a customer to go with another product because we're not ready, but we're also not going to be perfect when we're ready. And I want to keep the door open, but I also want to be honest and say, look, you're choosing another really good product. I just think that it doesn't have the same positioning as ours and there are different features and benefits. And when mine's ready, then I'm going to talk to you again. You know, a genuinely honest trader, I don't try and sell something that I think is wrong. I'm always looking for the repeat order. And most importantly, I'm trying to plow a kind of channel that is the expertise, stick to the knitting, do what I want to do, learn to say no. We need to learn to say no more than yes in enterprise and then we'll go further faster. Laura, I love so much how confident you are and how, yeah, straight talker. And you have such a self-awareness of, you know, the, the things that you know and how you go about life. Let me, let me tell you, you, you talk about me being confident, but the truth is my dad gave me a huge gift. You know, if you got out of bed and you were grumpy in the morning, he'd, he'd say to you, so which side of bed did you get out of? What he's saying there is he's saying, if you've got a choice, right, get out of bed cheerful because who knows what the world is going to offer you. And ironically, I was laughing the other day because I... I lived in a flat in Hong Kong and my bed was a single bed. So clearly I could only get out on one side of the bed. I always got out of the same bloody side of the bed, but I chose my mindset. And, you know, and this brand, the centered brand, which is choosing your mindset, but actually helping yourself on the journey with intelligent blends of aromatherapy. You choose the way you to be in the morning. You choose the way you live. You choose what you eat. You choose whether you exercise. Life is full of choices. I do not understand why we're not all striving to look after our health and wellness as our primary choice, because that in itself, the mindset that drives the rest of the engine, and you've only got one engine, you know, it's absolutely everything. I will continue investing in sports and wellness products. Hopefully, I'll continue investing in great people because I seem to be very lucky at picking the right ones. And the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I do believe that. But that was a, I think it was an Arnold Palmer Maybe it was Gary Player that said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. But it's really important that we keep practicing. Mm, absolutely. What is the one piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Um, set bigger goals. Do you think you did not set enough, big enough goals when you were younger? Yeah, I definitely didn't know how big we could be. And I kind of had no perspective of how well we were doing. Um, I just was doing my best. Yeah, I mean, I think set bigger goals because... I now know better how to set bigger goals is what I would say. I've learned some experiences that says, oh, sod it, why not? <laughs> Very good. What are you mostly curious about at the moment? Digital, TikTok, my Copperfield campaign where we're going to back prevention and what we learn out of backing this campaign really productively. I think it really matters. I kind of, there's a bit of what happens next because I'm, you know, I mean, my life isn't going to change other than Hopefully I'm going to get some kind of sunshine holiday at some stage. But I wonder how we will change as a human race following the virus experience and whether we even know what the future holds, because I think there's been a really big adjustment. And I don't want to talk about a new norm because I think we should create the norm that we think we want to live. 
Very well said. Very well said. Laura, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you today. And I'll make sure that all the links of your businesses and centered and everything is on the show notes. So make sure that whoever's listening to us, click on that and check out the products. I'm going to do it myself as well. Um, any last messages you want to share with the awesome people listening to us today? Yeah, no, I mean, the one thing I would say to you is is you can build a business by reading from business books or going on Google and being 80% right. So whoever's thinking that it's not possible, that's just rubbish. Anything's possible. You just have to make the anything. And then you need to ask people around you for help because it's not an alone thing. I made huge mistakes early on by not asking for enough help. And then when I started to learn from others and network really well, you'd be amazed at how much further and faster you can get. And we should be reminded that most of the time, people give their time very generously. So always keep a kind of credit and debt that you may owe someone a favor. So don't forget to pay them back. That's a very beautiful ending. Thank you very much for your time today. I learned so much from you. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening so far. Make sure that you listen to other episodes. You can go to hypercurious.fm. And if you want to stay in touch, I'm around. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You just search for my name and you're going to find me. If you love this conversation and more, make sure that you also do a five star and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if that's your preferred podcast app. It will mean the world to me. For now, ciao, ciao. Thank you.